This week on the Physio Foundations podcast, I'm talking to the program director at Torrens University in Melbourne, a tendinopathy researcher and rehab specialist, Tim Travail. And we're going to talk about finding your purpose as a health professional. Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast, where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So my guest today, Tim Travail, is all over the internet. And if you want an introduction to him, well, we'll ask him to do an introduction in a moment, so you can listen to that. But if you Google the man, you're going to find him everywhere. He's quite a prolific social media user and disseminator of research. And that's actually how I uh, how we met. And um, since then, we've been working together um, at Monash University in the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit and um, have have been to a conference recently together, the Sports Medicine Australia National Conference. So I've got to know Tim a lot better through there. And I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Tim's a really engaging speaker. He's done quite a lot, as I've mentioned, in terms of engagement online, um, and in education, and of course, he's heavily involved in health profession education. So let's bring him on, Tim Travail. Welcome to Physio Foundations. Thanks very much, Luke. It's good to be back on here. I think it was a, a little while ago I was last here, and it's an absolute pleasure to be back on today. Oh, so we've done. I got my wires crossed. So we, we've obviously podcasted together, but I thought that was on the Monash Musculoskeletal Research it, Unit podcast. It could have been. I think we've done a couple there. I'll have to go. <laughs> this is the 60th episode, so I'm starting to. Starting to lose count of which one we're on. But anyway, you can go back and find Tim on lots of podcasts. Tim's, you, you've got your um, series of podcast episodes yourself. So another lot of inspiration for me to start this podcast. So you can find you anywhere online. So Thanks. how are you going, first of all? Yeah, good, good. No, I'm excited for this conversation today. Lot, lots going on at the moment, isn't there? But um, no, good to be able to just shut a few thing, other things off and, and just uh, talk shop for a bit with you today, Luke. Yeah, we're recording this early November, so it's a busy time of the year for people in education and coordinating um, education in universities. So let's tell everyone a bit about you. Um, let's do a general introduction, background and interests. Sure. My primary role at the moment is with Torrens University, so that's my, that's my full-time work. So I'm there as the program director for our physical health suite of programs. So as you said, I've got a research interest in, in physical activity and persistent pain and, and really anything that helps people to live more physically active lives I'm really interested in. And, and I'm fortunate at Torrens that we've got a sort of suite of programs that fit into that space from, from health and well-being to sports development and some undergraduate programs in uh, in clinical myotherapy and akin. So uh, it's um, it's that's my main role. And then I'm fortunate to be able to do a little bit of clinical practice as well um, once a week at uh, Complete uh, Physio Exercise and Performance in Melbourne, where I really sort of get to apply my passion on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm not just talking the talk at Torrens University, but also still walking the walk a little bit, um, seeing, seeing private practice patients every week. Mm. Um, and then around that, I'm um, obviously, I'm trying to complete my PhD in um as you said, in, in sort of tendon in the tendon pain space, and really interested in that physical activity and load management and patient education as an underpinning, um, really sort of strategy to support musculoskeletal pain. So that's that's pretty much where I'm at at the moment. And then um, a bit of sort of social media around things to try and pull it all together and to, and talking to people like yourselves to help um, you know disseminate some of that information. I was going to say that the full singing, dancing, acting trio, the the research 
uh, clinical and the education, but there's probably another step to that, which we're going to talk about today, which is um, the engagement. So Mm. we'll tell everyone, if if everyone hasn't Googled you, doesn't know who you are, you've got a really successful YouTube channel where you're teaching health professionals various techniques. And at the conference, we were having a chat and I was just astounded with some of your the views on that channel, go and look at the Periton Physio YouTube channel. And we've got 200 views on this and 50 views on that. And that's fine. That's it's the people who have viewed it are um, uh, very important, but you what have you got? What's your, what's your number of views you've just, got on uh, one of your videos? It's, it's slightly, um, it's, it's very weird, weird world to me, but we just, I think we just hit just over 200 million views across that channel on, on the YouTube space. So that's, uh, I'm sure that's not all health professionals, but there's a range of people, uh, uh, on YouTube and internet that are looking across those. So uh, it's actually been on the back burner a bit, just just in focus of all of those other things I was talking about. And really my my North Star at the moment is to try and get through this PhD. But I've certainly yeah. got intentions to to come back to that YouTube space and develop that and grow that again once um, the PhD is out the way and I, I can really focus on sort of disseminating knowledge as opposed to just creating new knowledge myself. So I'm looking forward to getting back to that, but it's... Um, mm. Yeah, that, that was the focus of mine a little while ago, and I, I certainly plan to come back to it. Um, You've obviously got the knack for that communication with that many engagements. It's fantastic. So, And now you've got a really big platform for what you do with your research and your clinical work and your and your teaching work as well to, to really engage with people. And you and I had this conversation about Physio Foundation's podcast, and your remark to me was the episodes are becoming – uh, obviously, you work on your craft, and, and they become more refined, um, and they're, they're improving. But one thing you're not doing is promoting it. And I was, I said, guilty. I'm, I, ha- I don't have the time, and, and I haven't been promoting it at all. Uh, and so you gave me some really good tips in terms of engaging with people on various social media platforms. And I started the Physio Foundation summary, um, three to five minute reads on the episode. So that was all your idea. So we're going to credit Tim for that one. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you sort of you, you took that on board because I can see that if I listen to your first and early episodes compared to where you're at now, you've absolutely honed your craft and you're doing a fantastic job at developing that. Um, but but in my eyes, we're sort of what's the point if no one's going to listen to that? And you, and uh, and just to refocus you on sort of getting this great job out there to more to help more new graduates and undergraduates and, and health professionals across the spectrum actually listen to to what you're doing is um, just a key part of it. And I don't think we can just do the first without without sort of doing the latter. So yeah, well yeah. done for that. That's an important um, important push you gave me. So thanks. Um, Let's, so that leads us nicely to the main topic here. So we're going to talk about finding your purpose. And let's just orientate people to how you and I got onto this topic. So we were at the Sports Medicine Australia conference um, at the final dinner of the conference and we're relaxing and having a chat. And we started talking about how you found this amazing intersection and a space that really works for you in between your passions and your professional interests. Um, let's dive into that. Tell us about your um, your purpose, and and there's a Japanese word for this that you can pronounce because you've just spoken to a Japanese friend of yours and got the correct pronunciation. For you, go ahead and tell us. The word is ikigai, um, so I'll probably 
mispronounce that for the rest of this podcast but that was how his Japanese friends sort of told me this morning but really that that's about an intersection of a reason for being being if we break that word down as, as we like to um you know we traditionally break a lot of Latin words down in in, in what we do in anatomy but in Japanese the icky is to live and the gai is the reason so a sort of reason to live and, and that can be a little bit sort of esoterical and sort of um a little bit sort of um fluffy but really it's about creating meaning for what we do and i was actually just looking this morning to, to get the updated figures on um on the attrition rates out of our professions and, and then mm. one of the ones i could find was on the apa website in their recent apa workforce analysis so that's the australian physiotherapy association that was showing estimated 55 to 60 percent of people leaving the profession within 10 years of graduating and that's a mm. bit of a that's a heartbreaking figure to see so that, that clearly something's not working and obviously that's complex and multifactorial and there's many reasons as to why people might not find that um you know that, that this type of profession works for them but but for me there's probably a significant amount of people that haven't found that sort of true passion because they're not finding that intersection between not just being an injury expert or a pain management specialist but there's lots of those out there i think so we've got to intersect that with our own passions to really find the space that we want to work in and we need to develop in and that we're going to have like genuine career um success and, and passion for long term so that's for me just very simply you know years ago i started to merge the world of, of considering myself as a sort of sports injury expert with my background and, and passion for a sport in jiu-jitsu um, and that just sort of found my space where my clinical practice is and, and I think as I've mentioned to you before I've now pretty much uh, the limited clinical work I do just caters uh, my books are really open for jiu-jitsu athletes and jiu-jitsu practitioners around Melbourne and for many people that may sound like oh is there enough work in that space but it, it's really a mistake to think that the more specialized you get, the less opportunities you're going to get. I, I actually think it's the inverse of that. The more specialized you go into a space, the more opportunities there are for you. And and you can specialize in, in the physical therapy and uh, musculoskeletal pain and rehab worlds in, in working to a particular demographic or to a specific particular area of the body so you might become a knee specialist whereas other people become a jiu-jitsu rehabilitation specialist and, and that's a space that's worked you know well for me over time and, and we can get more into that detail and um but the ikigai is a sort of japanese concept which really breaks that down and it's a self-reflection tool which i encourage any um any musculoskeletal health practitioner who perhaps isn't uh, not sure if they found their passion or their right space to sort of go through this and see if they can really revolutionize and, and um their the way that they practice to to just um just get much better outcomes and to really stay in the game for longer yeah so good let's take everyone through the intersecting categories of the ikigai mm. so there's this there's four really four pillars to the ikigai and the first one is thinking about what the world needs so this can consider and i would encourage anyone listening along to maybe just google it so you can see a visual of this it looks like a venn diagram four circles on the venn diagram and then there's four pillars within that and and really you're finding your reason for being is it sits in the center of this of this diagram so the first one is about what the world needs so considering how your actions or what you do can can benefit society or fulfill a larger purpose and so 
that might be the larger impact of rehabilitation or efforts on society and really to address that societal need we know that pain is uh you know, a third of or 20% of the Australian population has a persistent pain condition. And so we know that there's obviously a societal need there. And so helping patients to return to functionality, improving quality of life, things like that might be what the world needs or your mission. The second of the pillar is about what you're good at. So what your vocation is. So the inherent skills that make a good practitioner, and that might be around interpersonal skills or technical skills that you you probably haven't got passed through your degree or you wouldn't be in the profession if you weren't good at, at those skills and and um i mean that's your bread and butter luke physio foundations is all about those ba- the, the fundamental skills of what yeah. makes a good practitioner so you can probably help me out there and, and really you know have a you would have an in-depth understanding of all of those different things that what makes what makes a good um practitioner or rehabilitation expert the third one is around sort of what you love and this is where your passion comes in so what do you actually feel enthusiastic about doing and that might be related to the rehabilitation space but it might not be it could be your your sort of um what's perceived as an unrelated interest and we can then look at how those things might merge later on so is it the love for sort of helping patients and seeing people recover but really what are the personal areas that you're interested in whether that sports or just what what just sort of gets you up in the morning what do you get excited about and that's that that area of what you love and then the fourth one focuses really on the practical aspects of life, ensuring that your passions and skills can actually be provide can provide for your needs. So it's what you can be paid for, what your profession might be. So is that making a livelihood from private practice, um, ensuring that you've got you know, enough stability to be able to, to meet your needs while you're doing what you love? And, and so addressing the real world challenges um, in the rehabilitation space has a job market. Um, and, and so they're really the four areas um and then we can talk about the intersection between those as well if if we want them to get further deep deeper into it and i'd encourage people to have a look at that so you know the, the intersection between then the passion for for what you love and then the the mission or what the world needs is is really where you get the excitement of making that real difference but if we only look at those you're going to get that kind of fullness but you're not going to be able to look at the wealth and the reality of working in that profession so we need to make sure that we're not just looking at any one of these sections but you're looking at bringing these uh, together and for me that was a bit of a personal journey of mapping this out and that probably a few years ago five years ago i was moving away from clinical practice into more sort of research and more into the education side of things but doing this process actually helped me find my my space that i'm really passionate about and love and and now i'm back into the clinical practice with um and i, and I don't see myself moving moving away from it so um yeah it takes mm-hmm. a little bit of time to map out and i'm happy to share kind of each of those areas if you think it'd be helpful for the listeners to um to how it resonated with me um and then perhaps we can you know, can look at the physio foundations podcast and and um and how i can see your passions have come together in knowledge dissemination and in um you know helping people to understand this stuff now i'd love to do that we can workshop our own personal intersections between the passion and vocation and mm. practical aspects. And then um, hopefully this is really a practical exercise and hopefully others are out there doing this as well and have the pen and paper out as I do right now. I, I really, before we do that, I really like how you anchored down the, you know, the rationale for doing this yourself and for others to do this to the attrition rate 
from the professions. If you think about how much money goes into personally yourself and, and from governments, you know, to training health professionals, and you've got a 50 to 55% attrition rate, that's a serious problem. And why that is, is multifactorial, but it's a question you, you should be asking yourself as well. Um, we all go through a period of time in our careers, probably multiple periods of time, where you doubt what you're doing and you think, I, I'm not sure about this. Is this for me? And the, this is the exercise to do when you're at that point in time. So let's work shop through you first. So yeah. so not, just to recap what the world needs. And just to come on to that, because I just, just reflect on your point. And I think we can do that as a, we can always do self-reflection as at a point when we are, you know, a bit lost or a bit unsure about whether we're in the right space. But I think we can also take this approach really proactively. So at the point of I've just started my undergraduate uh, degree or I'm coming towards the end of my graduate degree, where do I want to be in five years time? And how can I make that vision a reality uh, as best as possible? Um, and rather, so we can take a proactive approach of doing this prior to graduation and really then set that five-year vision, five-year goal, 10-year goal based on a, a process of self-reflection and of where you want to be. And then you take ownership of that mission and you take ownership of how you develop as a new early career practitioner to, to make sure that you reduce the risk of or the chances of you being one of those statistics that falls out of the profession in five or 10 years time. Mm. That's such an important point rather than waiting for you to reach this crisis point and it's something that well, look i've talked on the podcast with many guests about the um, the role of mentoring in your career as well and um you know having exercises to do as a part of that mentoring process sometimes mentoring is is just having somebody who's who's prepared to listen to you but all the way through to really proactive approaches as well so let's work through timtravail.com that is your website that's funny um, Tim Travail, um, and let's work through your um, your four categories: what the world needs, so, what you're good at, what you love, or your passion, and the practical aspects how how you can pay the bills, how you can get the skills to pay the bills. To quote the Beastie Boys, <laughs> so let's work through you. Well, it's the first one around what the world needs for me. So we're not leaving anything sort of by chance. We're figuring out what the world sort of generally needs, and for me. I knew that the world needs high value care for sports related injuries um, because high value care can improve quality of life. It keeps people doing the activities that they want to do. And that in turn clearly has uh, an improvement on quality of life. And it's always been a passion of mine. And it's been one of those North stars to help people lead more physically active lives. And I think that's what the world needs. If we we get more deep into that we can think about the you know the burden of chronic disease and the issues with physical activity and the issues with growing amounts of the burden of persistent pain around the around the world particularly in the rest western societies the world clearly needs high value care um for uh, musculoskeletal pain and for sports related injuries which which starts to connect to my passion uh so then what i'm what am i good at so i uh, I like to work with people and I like to help people to understand their pain and injury, but it's not so much what I like to do. It's what I feel I am. I'm good at. I, I like, I think I'm good at helping people uh, understand their pain and how it relates to um, the life that they're living and the challenges that they're having around their lives and, and 
I think I'm good at getting people to be more physically active, whether that's related to a specific injury or generally in their lives, considering um, things like, you know, physical activity levels and are we meeting those requirements? So I think the interpersonal skills and the problem solving skills that underpin that is an area that um, I believe I'm, I'm good at. So then it's about how do I connect that? That is what I used to do. I think those two things are what I used to do. I used to work with generally sporty people, but not always sporty people. And I used to help them be a bit more physically active, but I wasn't really connecting that with things that I love. And, and when we start to be a little bit more selfish, we can specialize and find this sort of reason for being Oiki guy. So what I love, and one of the things I love is martial arts and jujitsu. So you know, Brazilian jujitsu practitioner for about 10, 12 years with judo before that. And I have a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu now, and it's been a passion for, for many years. So I spent you know, a number of hours per week continuing to train that and hone that. Um, and we know that our own happiness will come from a combination of, of competence, autonomy, uh, and creativity and impact in areas that we, we uh, enjoy doing. And for me, that's uh, jiu-jitsu. So then starting to merge those worlds a bit more and what i can be paid for is the is the reality of the last one and i know but having i i've i've seen it and i know that people will pay for to be able to return to a sport quicker with confidence in a reduced injury likelihood of re-injury or injury um and to understand their pain and injury so and I, for me, when I've drawn those things together, that sits as a specialist in musculoskeletal pain and rehabilitation for jiu-jitsu practitioners um, to help them understand their pain and injury, reduce their chance of re-injury and uh, spend more time doing the things that they love to do. And really, that's where my clinical practice has sat now. I've that That's the reflective process that I took to get to that point. And and then it's a case of right. Uh, we can probably talk next steps is about making that a reality into your clinical practice, which is which is obviously has to happen after we've got done this stage of reflection and and uh, we've got a we've got a goal, we've got a, an area or a reason for how we think we could bring passion to our own clinical practice. That's fantastic, Tim. Can your um, Venn diagram get out of balance? For example, so. I, I'm trying to think of the book where I read this and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. I'll look it up and put it in there if you're interested. There's a book, uh, the whole thesis of the book is about uh, the passion hypothesis and how that is overrated and oversold and that you you need more than passion for a career. For example, as you've just articulated really clearly, you need uh, you know, your time you know, to pitch what you're doing with what the world needs and what you're good at and the practical aspects as well so you can get paid for it. and if you have passion in there, that's that's um, a bonus. And I hope I haven't. Uh, and I'll put the, the book in the show notes so we can have a read of that yourself and see if you agree with my summary. Um, it, it, well, I was general. The general question is when can this get out of balance? Has that been out of balance for you? For example, for the first few years of your career, was it more you were focusing on your needs and and what you're good at? And you didn't have the the passion to bring in the BJJ training into your practice, for example. Were things out of balance at any stage? I think I've been really fortunate that I haven't relied for a while now on clinical practice as my sole sort of source of income because because I've been involved in education and and because I've sort of been in in, in research more recently. It's I've I've probably been able to be 
have been able to be a little bit more playful with um, each of these areas. So I've been able to dial up a little bit more of what I love without having to worry too much about what I can be paid for. But mapping this out really did help me to understand that there is a niche there and actually you know, moving towards that. Because it might be that you, you know, traditionally I had my books open to to everyone and because i knew i could be paid for that and we know that uh, you know standard rehab specialists will be open to anyone and you could be paid for that and then really sort of growing the brand growing the expertise in one specific space allowed me to sort of slowly like you know move towards that it's not like i suddenly sort of you know switch the tap off on one thing and on on you know, off off to a certain demographic and onto another. It was it was a bit of a sort of drip feed of an increase in a certain area, and then that turned into a sort of you know the only area that I I now work in, which really sort of it took me a while to find that ikigai. But I absolutely agree. If you spend too long thinking about what you're good at without actually what the world needs, mm. then then you're going to have a a mismatch there, or too much of what you love without actually understanding whether you can be paid for it. I think it, it's crucial that you're considering all four of these to make sure that you can find a, like something that actually has, um, you know, a, a grounding in reality and a grounding in what you can actually sort of do. Yeah, the- it takes time to develop, mm. which is an important point you made earlier about if we're leaving the profession after a short number of years. How long have you been working in healthcare? Um, so I graduated in 2007 in the UK. So uh, I've always been in some form of private practice at some point or, or, or um, working for sort of sports teams. Um, so I've always been in clinical practice. And but for the majority of that time, I've been in and out of different educational roles as well. So most of the time it's been part time clinical practice mm. alongside um, educational leadership roles more recently. So it takes time. And if you're listening to this and you're a student or a new grad, and you haven't found, or you can't clearly define your four categories doing this exercise, working along here with Tim and doing this exercise, that seems to me, that's pretty normal. Something that takes time to develop. Mm. And perhaps this is a moment to have hope that there's, there may be more to it and there may be more passion that it comes into your, um, your view of your career. Or if you're driven by passion, but you're not making a lot of money, there may be more practical aspects that you're working on and you can develop, for example, in mm-hmm. your the way you set up your career. I found the book, Tim. It's called um, That's So Good, They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. And um, yeah, and that rule number one, I just found a book somewhere online, don't concern yourself with passion. Yeah, and and which is an issue. Which is uh, there's a. I won't take the book out of context because there's there's quite a lot in it. But um, it's it is a common thing that I see where people are searching for their passion, and if they don't find it instantly, um, they they're leaving things. For example, it takes uh, the thesis of this book was that if you go and do develop the things that you're good at, you can find your passion because it's fun to do things that you're good at. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I mean, I would have to go that way and read that book, but I'm not sure if I be, uh, would agree with the sort of premise of that because I think uh, we probably need to find a middle ground there. I, and and it's probably a bit of a a boomer complaint that all of the the Gen Z are just focusing on their passions and spending too much time on TikTok and not actually just focusing on what they're they're good at. And we know. Um, you know, the the working on the things that we are good at is 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 beneficial, but 
it, you know, we perhaps we can find our passion through that, but I'd suggest a lot of people need to find a middle ground there with actually, I, I think you can find both. And I think there's no reason why you can't find things you're good at, but also connect it to things that you do love doing and you have that passion for. I don't think it's a binary one or the other. I think we can find a space where we intersect and we connect the two of those things. Uh, and that's what I advocate for, for any mm. of my students and, and people in the profession. How soon is too soon for specialising? Do you think? So if we talk, again, we're talking to students and new grads or anyone mm. else who's listening to this, but if we talk to that demographic for a moment, and so you're talking about specialising with a specific population with um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes or um, mm. it could be anyone's example yeah. of what they're specialising in. Do you think there's some um, something to be said for working broadly before specialising or is it very individual depends on your luck and circumstance i would I, I would think that there probably is a scope for generalization if i think about my clinical background my i worked in rugby union for about 12 12 years um and so i i absolutely loved that sport for everything that it brought to my clinical experience from the acute to the persistent chronic conditions to every sort of fracture and dislocation under the sun over over that period and, and managing all of those things acutely um you know right back to that rehab space so um I think I've learned a lot of that and being able to bring that into an area like jiu-jitsu. So specializing in an area uh, is is so powerful for people on the receiving end of that. So if you're if you're an athlete and you work, at, you know, you have a passion for a certain sport and you can talk the same language as someone who is doing that activity or that sport, that's a completely different environment for you to go in for care. So to be able to actually go in, you've got a painful knee or a painful back, to be able to actually talk the language and under, know that the person on the other end has a has a shared passion for that. I think the clinical outcomes are much stronger because of that, where, because the, the buy-in is better. And we know that um, that clinical relationship between patient and practitioner is, is a really important factor in terms of the success rates and, and sort of long-term outcomes. And so when we can sort of find a shared passion for areas like that, I think that's that's um that's really important um and i think that there's no reason that we can't start to consider our specialization and plan that out over time it, i was talked about a five-year sort of goal to start with so for an undergraduate i think it's absolutely okay to think about specializing in five years time and, and slowly work your way towards that so you this is about finding that north star that where you want to be long term it doesn't necessarily mean that we want to go out and specialize or need to specialize straight away and miss out on all of the broader learnings that we might get working with different populations and working in hospitals or whatever that might be um but this is about making sure that we find our long term so we can be in this industry for you know 20 30 40 50 60 years not not just in it for the short term and and get out and and not sure what to do there that's another really good important um, really important point because so often we talk about the decision to do something now immediately and it doesn't have to happen right now mm. planning things in the future around your interests is something that can be really motivating and fun you can think well i'm not going to give up now i have things that i want to do the other thing is what when we say are we going to specialize it's it's what do we mean by a specialist because yes we have uh you know apa titled or other professions might have specialists that you need a certain master's qualification for or you need a postgraduate qual to to call yourself something or to specialize but but what else does that mean 
for, for me, that's someone who just puts themselves out there and talks about it a lot, right? <laughs> you, you've got, uh, what makes what makes me a, a, a you know rehabilitation specialist in a certain area is the fact that I just started talking about that a lot on in Instagram and online and in social spaces, and and people get attracted to you not because you've got a. a master's qualification or a phd or whatever else they get attracted to you because you are sharing sensible evidence-informed information online to a community that's underserviced and underrepresented so uh, it's i found it's my passion and my job to be able to relate evidence based practice to a population where that, that, that doesn't have much research in or even if there is a lot of research in that area make it make sense to that population and by doing that by disseminating that information you're becoming a specialist you're becoming a go-to person in that area you're understanding the research you're by keeping up with the research you're translating that into patient friendly athlete friendly information uh, and that's part of your own professional development and that's helping you become the specialist that you want to be so uh, you set your own you decide what you're a specialist in not someone else you set that you you know you set up your instagram social media pages you set up your timgerald.com you 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 define the narrative for the specialist that you want to be uh, and also within your scope of practice but go for it it's it's no one's holding you back it's up to you to to find your passion and and to shoot for it there's so much good information out there of course we always talk about the poor unreliable sources of information on the internet and you should be an educated consumer of research and information of course but there's so much good information out there on the internet that people can go to that you almost risk being invisible despite being useful and being spot on with the things you put out there so i'm i'm an advocate for starting and talking to the people who are in your group and not necessarily measuring the size of the group. We talked about your 200 million YouTube views and that's fantastic. Um, and then there's a much smaller um, niche audience for the Physio Foundations podcast, a lot of whom will contact me and I'll meet and we'll talk to and have, and have then come on as, uh, as guests on the, on the episodes. And to me, that's really important as well. It's not so much about your, um, you can't measure it in terms of views. But, to, but as a segue, talk to us about um, new grads and students in the early days when they still feel that dreaded imposter syndrome, if we still talk about that, um, if that's still a thing. Uh, and they think, well, I don't know enough to get out there. I don't know enough yet to put myself out there and, and engage and um, start a, an Instagram, for example, or, or a website, or even to go to conferences and talk to people, talk to, talk them into it. You did it. I did. And um, the first thing to note is that if you've got imposter syndrome syndrome now, you can um, rest assured that that will never go away. No matter how many views you get on YouTube or, or, or how many, um, you know, people you have connections you have on your Instagram, whatever else that will, that will certainly never, never go away. And, and for me, it hasn't. Um, but We've just got to you know, understand and live in that bit of discomfort. We talk to our patients about sort of living in, you know, or, or talk to our undergrads about living in that uncomfortable space and getting comfortable with being a bit uncomfortable um, and putting yourself out there anyway. And like, what's what's the worst that what's the worst that could happen if you put yourself out there a bit more? And and if you ask yourself that question and you can live with the answer, mm. then why not do it? 
yeah, because that is the worst that can happen. And what's the best that can happen? You can find a, a niche, you can find an expert area, you can be the go-to for a certain area, and you can find a passion and a job that you actually love to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you can deal with the worst and you want to give yourself a shot or an opportunity at the best of those outcomes, then give it a crack. Mm. Particularly if what you're doing is is really well-meaning, well-intentioned, ethical, um, useful for the people who are listening to it. I, I really haven't come up against, uh, I've only had positive um, reactions for it. I'm sure if you have a very large, diverse, um, I nearly said fan base or let's say followers, for example, like you probably have, you probably get a few people disagreeing for the sake of disagreeing, but it's really been a very positive experience for me. Yeah. And, and looking at stuff you do, it just comes across very authentic and very genuine. And even if you see stuff online that you don't necessarily agree with, but they're coming across as a genuine and authentic, no, no one shoots you down for that stuff. Someone might politely disagree, but it's the people that, you know, are the loud shouty voices on the internet that attract the people that, you know, want to disagree with you. And I don't get that much, but I do see it out there. And I, I do think that's about how, how you present and the more, more abrasive you want to be with with putting things out there, the more likely you're going to attract that type of abrasiveness back and, and sort of shouty things on the internet. But I'm not interested in any of those type of shouty arguments on the internet. I'm happy to kind of, you know, say something, make a comment and, and move, you know, politely and move on. Perhaps yeah. provide a little bit of evidence and move on. I've got no interest or time to be able to have arguments on the internet. And, um, you know, people. some people do and that's fine, but it's it's not the space I want to live in. Yeah, for sure. Well, when you and I were training, the, uh, the for me the internet didn't exist. Um, it was in its infancy, perhaps. Um, there was there really wasn't any exemplars of people doing anything at all. So I, I noticed from talking to our students and new grads, there's a lot of them consume a lot of online content in alternate forms. Everything from your your Instagram to to podcasts and, and blogs and everything else. Um, a lot of good YouTube channels that show clinical skills, for example. So they're quite on top of various resources and they're using it. And also the dreaded TikTok. So I've, I've recently found out that there's some good stuff on TikTok. I was um, uh, yet, yet to be proven. But um, all I've heard of TikTok is that it keeps you awake till four in the morning, scrolling endless seven second videos of people dancing. But apparently there's there's some short form video content all over the internet that the students are using and it's helping them consolidate what they're hearing in the long form lectures and in the textbooks, for example. You and I never had that. And we're in a way we're sort of trailblazing that, at least from our perspective. And then when they're at our stage, our students are going to have all this foundation of understanding of, of what works and what doesn't work. Imagine what they're going to be doing. Um, so I guess the, the question is when do they transition from being a, a just a pure consumer of it to someone who's producing it themselves? Do you have to? Can you go through your whole career and never produce any content is another question. I don't know if we need to answer it or not, but it's hmm. something it's I think a, about. It's an interesting question, and, and I suppose it depends how much – I think it's we're in a living in a world where it's difficult to be able to become an a, an industry recognized expert or patient recognized expert in an area without having some form of presence on social media. So yes, we may get that expertise through um 
through significant amount of researchers and, and we all we all know some professors who produce huge amounts of research who then who develop a, a referral network from from doctors and from other referral spaces and become, become a specialist without a social media presence but without having that background i think i think it's tough um and so i would encourage people to move from purely a consumer to to a producer of some of that content it doesn't need to be lots it doesn't need to take up all of your time and it doesn't even need to take you too far out your comfort zone there's so many different ways of doing things if you don't want to talk to camera you don't have to you can produce infographics you can produce you know single slides or photos with some um you know content associated to that that's going to be of value so just think about what are the what's the perfect patient that you would like to see and what and and what questions might they have and if you're stuck about what where to start with content think of a question that you, you've been asked from a patient and answer it think of another question and answer it and start like that and you're going to suddenly come up with quite a bit of content in whatever form that suits you and you can start moving towards your your ikigai or your your purpose and an area you want to live in. Gold. There's so much in that. And there's a marketing element to that as well. If we're talking to people in the private industry, clinicians who are marketing themselves, there's a huge element to it. All right, I'm, I'm, I've been trying to avoid the uh, my least favorite topic, which is talking about myself. But let's um, workshop physio yeah, foundations. Because right, I've seen you, Let's do it. When you, you know, I've seen you go through a process. So, so first, of, first of all, with with what you're doing, what does what does the world need? So, it's a good question. The, the, the world needs a lot. So, if we're talking about what I'm doing here in Physio Foundations, yeah, let's, let's start with let's focus on that. I reckon. Yeah, it, it's it's probably more demographic. Yeah, so, a lot of our, um, love the content. That, that I see is focused on, if you think about everything as a, as, as a pyramid of knowledge and skills as a pyramid, and you've got the foundation of knowledge of skills that we sort of take for granted often. And at the top of the pyramid is the stuff you might talk about or hear about at, at professional development courses or conferences. Uh, and it's this exciting new findings and the things that might make you different from other people. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, the, the boring old, interpersonal and communication skills and the clinical skills that you just assume that you should be good at aren't talked about as much. And I think from my perspective as a new grad when I was coming out and from the perspective of a lot of the students I talk to and our, um, and our new grads that I've spoken to, they sort of value talking about those foundational skills because they're still working their way through them. They're still developing them. So being open about that and giving everybody an opportunity to to work on those foundational knowledge and skills is is to me an important need. And I think the the podcast is a it's such a natural um, format as well. You can be quite honest. It's not like a YouTube video or, or a conference presentation or an infographic where everything is planned. You don't really know where it's going to go half of the time. And it, it, it's an opportunity to, to talk through and be honest as well. So honesty is a part of that. So that's that's a need. So, so what the world, just to reflect that back, let's keep it down to a sort of refine it down to one sentence. Honest conversations about key foundational principles that make an effective physiotherapist. Is that what I'm saying? Yeah. 
you can take over the Physio Foundations podcast. No, I'm just going to reflect back all the great things that you're saying into one little bit. And that's great. So You've summarized so, it for me. I know that you you're not someone who loves to do this, but 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 you've just got to suck it up. What what are you good at, Luke? What am I good at? Interpersonal skills you've mentioned. I like talking to people. I think I'm good at talking and listening. Um Talking, you're good at talking and listening. So. <laughs> That's why I started a podcast. <laughs> that sounds like a good, <laughs> good space everyone, to be doing that then. Yeah, everyone can listen to me failing at this. And I hope when you do it, it's hard as well. <laughs> Certainly not. And I know that you're good at that. And as I said, from where you were to where you are now, um, that's only, you're only refining that and you're even far better now than even you were, you know, mm. a year ago at doing this. So, so. Oh, look, I think I have, uh, I have a master, I have a clinical master's degree that I've also bought in on top of my undergraduate degree and then PhD, which is the apprenticeship in research. So that's your sort of your entry level to get into an academic teaching and research position. So I see one thing that I bring in is postgraduate clinical training rather than just having research training and then going into a clinical education role. Mm. Uh, and I've also uh, done a lot of professional development as well, lots of com clinical conferences. So bringing in a broad range of knowledge, I can have a conversation with Prue Morgan, who's our head of department about neurophysio, and we'll talk about uh, musculoskeletal um, physiotherapy, for example, and can go between a broad range of topics. I think that can be a weakness in terms of niching down and finding one thing that you're good at, but being able to talk to a range of people about a range of topics and draw threads together. Mm. here's something that I'm good at. Let's talk about your passion then. What, what do you love? I love what we're doing now. So I'm in a, I'm in a teaching research position. So I've split my time between admin and, and teaching related administration, teaching research and what we call service or engagement. So what, which is what we're doing now. And if I could plan the perfect week, I'd be doing exactly what we're doing now. So working through and teaching. So I really, really enjoy developing, helping people develop their um, professional and personal skills and knowledge and watching them grow through the calendar year as they go through the first year of their undergraduate training. Um, that's mm -hmm. what gets me out of bed in the morning. I'm not saying that I, I'm, I, I don't like research. I'm passionate about research as well. We have the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit and you know, within that role, one of my passions is actually getting other people to progress with their PhDs as a PhD supervisor, for example. Mm. So a lot of my passion is in education and mentoring. And then the last part is about what you can be paid for. And you just touched on it as being like a percentage of your service within your Monash role. But how do you sort of see this fitting into what you can be paid for? Before I had an academic role, a lot of the things that I do as a part of that role were I was doing anyway. An example is reviewing journal articles. It's probably well known that um, the big journals don't pay their reviewers and you go and you review those for free um, and then the journal makes their money. It's a, it's a big concern, it's a big issue in the industry. I was doing that before I got into an academic role. Um, I was doing clinical professional development. I was doing, um, I was working with people on their, on research projects, um, getting involved in sessional teaching. So I was doing a number of things that are actually now part of my paid role. 
So to me, working in the university gives me an opportunity to bring all of that together and still maintain that contact with the clinical practice that I used to do. So for 10 years, I was a pure clinician. Um, and then I gradually moved into academia through sessional teaching, research assistant work, then through my PhD. And being able to teach clinically means I can maintain that connection with the clinical work that I used to do. But under the umbrella of a teaching research academics, you can get paid for all the different disparate things that you do. So I think I've got that one covered. Love my job mm. and love the people I work with as well. It's a great place to be with, uh, to, to work at. So before, before we mentioned, there was two, I, I, I mentioned, or we mentioned that there was two reasons as to why, or two times you might be completing this types of self-reflection process. We talked about proactively before you, you're going to have any sort of your problems or even, and then we talked secondly, when you're in perhaps a little bit of despair or questioning whether you're in the right career path. But I think the third one is to help make sure that you are on the right path. So for anyone just to stop and reflect and to go through this process themselves, as you've just done, should help to reignite that passion or just say, well, I am on the right journey. I am in the right place for me right now. I am doing this. And this is something that I should continue to do. So mm. it's not about starting to do something or stopping to do something. It's actually just reaffirming that we are in the right place. We're doing things that are suited to my passions and my why mm. and my North Star or my Ikigai, however you want to talk about it. And for me, listening back to your passion and that this podcast is something that links in for you that works well, is that is a, is a third reason. And for everyone else listening on this, we'll, we'll be in one of those positions. They're either thinking about their future, they're, they're either a little bit concerned about whether they're in the right place, or they're feeling good about their profession, and they've got a chance to check in and give themselves the next five years worth of passion that they're in the right place, they're doing the right thing that uh, you know it works for them. And it's just a bit of a sense check, might help us course correct a little bit in one direction or another, or might just go right, I'm in the right space, let's keep going. Mm. You um, you led me through that exercise so nicely, and I I let it happen. But uh, you got this. The listeners got to hear me being a bit uncomfortable at times doing that. Yeah, and I appreciate you. I don't really get uncomfortable. I didn't give you any forewarning on that. I appreciate you jumping in, and and people will listen to your podcast will understand that passion, and and hopefully then go and do that this type of exercise themselves. Hmm. So where to from here? So. I guess for our audience, if you've worked through that exercise, I think Tim's given you some really nice guidance there on how you can use this exercise to not just course correct, but also to affirm what you're doing as well. I thought that was a really good point. And before that, we spent a bunch of time talking about the potential for, um, for students and new grads to become those thought leaders in their area and not necessarily being constrained to the boundaries of a degree that you have that um, that says that you're a specialist in this area or or a, research, or a series of research articles. I mean, those things are important as well. We're not discounting them, but someone like you, Tim, you've gone out there into the um, the online world and almost effortlessly. It looked there's I know there's a lot of effort there, but you, you seem to have quite naturally built up your brand, your personal brand. But it's not actually about you. I mean, your website's called timtravail.com, but but it's about how you can help health professionals and um, and patients. All your all of your social media, obviously, you're the face of it. But what you're trying to do is help people 
manage their injuries and um, return to jujitsu faster, for example. So you're clearly enjoying what you're doing, but you've got a um, you've got service in mind as well. You're help. You've you've got a, a mission, a north star, as you put it, you know, to really help people through your research and through your practice. So. I mean, hopefully conversations like this do something to help with that awful attrition rate that you mentioned at the start of the episode. That's a cool Yeah, it, mm. it, it is a scary stat. And, and I said the, the physiotherapy one, but I'm sure it's the same in, you know, similar in myotherapy and any other professions. So it's really something that, I mean, at, at Torrens, we've always taken like a strength-based approach to learning and that's what we focus on. And I think this is really, it connects well with that strength-based approach. As you said, that's the um, strength-based, what you're good at, as well as linking back to that sort of passion and making sure you tie those things together. So um <clears throat> yeah you can see it certainly i appreciate you feeding that back luke but it certainly wasn't effortless in in yeah, um, that was the wrong word home and you know uh and and whether things are right and i'm still you know scared at times to sit in front of, of cameras and talk to things and and just that's still a work in progress for me to to develop all of those things but people can see an example it's only fairly small scale but i think it's um i retitled that uh just rebranded it slightly it's black belt rehab on, on instagram if people are sort of looking to the, just the the type of things that um you know how i start to bring that together and, and really through the power of that instagram that helped me to change my clinical practice to to just working in areas that i'm interested in as a result of this type of reflection exercise the reflections is great in itself but it's taking that next step to bring that reflection to a reality to then actually change the way you practice and for me now i can see myself being in clinical practice and i, I do some face-to-face -face stuff in melbourne and i offer got um uh, now sort of specialist ACL uh, jiu-jitsu services are like online via telehealth. So um, I've just been to someone yesterday from Adelaide and I've got someone from London tomorrow, you know, um, on, on Saturday morning I'm going to be speaking to just to help that sort of transition and really relate that, you know, what they're struggling with to the sport that they love and and, and have finding that intersection has allowed me to specialise in that space. So you can see the way I've tried to bring that together. The example is probably via sort of Instagram there uh, and the other bits are, it's it's only about providing value to people. And I think that's where the value um you know it comes and the following comes and the expertise is is really going through that process of what the world needs. And then you provide the value and turn that into a reality for you. That's brilliant, Tim. So people can find you black at black belt rehab and someone have an example. So it's probably obviously people may be following you already. It's a good idea to have a look at Tim's model of what he's been doing here. And you can sort of see um, what he's been talking about for yourself. And hopefully that's provided some motivation for our listeners for um, finding whatever part of their, can you help me with the word? I'm going to say it wrong. Ikigai. 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 <laughs> that they need, yeah, that they, that they need that will help them stay in the profession for a long time. Cause we're obviously, we're biased. We're highly passionate about what we do. We believe in the mission and the, the project. We believe in what we're doing is helping people. And now in the part of my career, I mean, I really passionately believe in helping students become uh, the, you know, the best they can be so they can help people. I think it matters, um, but we want, you know, we want our patients and we want our students to be in this for the long haul. And there's probably more to it than you think, whatever time you're in right now. There's a lot of good to be found in the future. So 
That's some good inspiration for everyone. So thanks very much, Tim, for a great discussion and for making me feel uncomfortable and um, helping me develop my um, or affirm what I'm doing here. Was, I really appreciated that. It's good. Good pleasure, Luke. Thanks for having me on. Now, just just quickly before we go, jiu-jitsu, uh, tell, just tell us a little bit. You you are a black belt. How quickly would you destroy me in a – so I'm, I'm not a jiu-jitsu player – if I was a troublemaker of some sort and coming around, causing some disturbances, how quickly could you submit me um, your, with your skills? And maybe I need to train. Look, I, uh, <laughs> I think um, I think if you want an answer to that question, get down to any jiu-jitsu <laughs> um, and give yourself sort of you know, 30 seconds to a minute of, of trying not to get submitted and, and see how that goes for you. So, look. That, a good that's- answer. Yeah. It's a it's a, a sport is or is it a martial art or a sport? Oh, look, it's a bit of a grey space, I suppose. It's a um, it traditionally a martial art, and now it is it's sort of very sort of uh, sport. I'd call it a sport, really, rather than rather than a sort of traditional martial art. Um, it, it's in terms of the way that it's been developing in recent years. So it's yeah. becoming more professional, which is which is good for people like me who can then find a space that people will find more of a, a more sort of. We move towards a sport. The more people we have that are that are involved in it and doing it, and and are really kind of looking for a way to be more professional and to be more athletic and find those those qualities that we can help people with. Mm. And it's a sport, martial art that has a, a real connection to the person's you know personality and personal development. And so, my understanding is that if you're not humble, you will be humbled very quickly. That's probably fair to say. Yeah, so it sounds like I need to join so many other people I know and, and train, but that's a conversation for another episode. But look, I got a lot out of that. Thanks very much, Tim, for a great conversation. I hope listeners did as well. Um, of course, if you want to follow us, you can look in the show notes and you can follow um, Susanna and I at Periton Physio. You can find Tim um, at Black Belt Rehab and timtravel.com. Any other handles? Oh, just my surname travail on in, on um where's that on twitter um if people are on there but uh, yeah you'll find me yeah jump on there and join the conversation but we'll have to do it again so thanks, thanks very much Tim. anyone wants to reach out and talk through sort of just finding this space for them i'm always happy working working with people and, and helping them find their passion in this space so yeah please reach out and I'm, I'm happy to have a chat anytime fantastic all right thanks tim So until next time, this is Tim Travail and Luke Perriton wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning. 